mind if I record the interview? Do you mind if I do? No, go for it. Okay, let's both go for it. Are you ready? This is the Queer Core Podcast, and my name is August Bernadiku. This episode is the first in our new series called Queer Core Quickies. It's a rapid injection of LGBTQ history, and we all know everyone has time for a quickie. This episode features Jack Fritcher, an ex-seminarian who introduced cigars as a pop culture fetish into the leather press. Jack was born in Jacksonville, Illinois, and was educated by Jesuits, the Marines of the Catholic Church, for 11 years. From 1975 through 1999, Jack was the catalyst for Drummer Magazine, the most successful and influential gay leather magazine of all time. Drummer helped create the very leather culture reported on. Drummer Magazine focused on gay leather culture and broke several earth-shattering gay artists. Jack assigned his old boyfriend, the iconic homo photographer Robert Maplethorpe, his first magazine cover. Drummer was crucial to exploring and documenting the daddy and bear gay groups. And Jack was the first person to publish the word bear on a magazine cover. In order to write about what I saw going on in the bars, I had to either pick up on the new words or think up what new words would be to cover it. In 1984, Jack started Palm Drive Videos, where he directed more than 150 pornos. Even though it's quarantine, let's squeeze into our leather pants and pull out our porn stash from under the bed. This is the first Queer Core Quickie. The following excerpt is from an interview I conducted with Jack on February 25th, 2019. How did the Jesuits prepare you as a homosexual? <laughs> well, I was only, you must understand, I was only at a, a Jesuit uh, institution as a graduate student. So I was not educated um, as a high school seminary student or college student by Jesuits. But there was a lot of Jesuit teaching brought in by the other teachers, and my spiritual directors were always Jesuits. And those spiritual directors prepared me for a life of intellectual rigor and physical discipline hmm. that I found very appealing because the Jesuits are considered the Marines of the Catholic Church and are among, if one must gauge priests, they're among the most manly presenting of priests, and that kind of discipline around art and life um, helped sustain me as I had to make my own way in a world in the 50s and 60s where there was no path to follow. In a sense, all of us who lived in the 1950s were like uh, James Fenimore Cooper's leather stocking. He kept going farther and farther into the American frontier to get away from everybody. And the irony, of course, was that civilization would follow him, and he'd no sooner get 100 miles into the West than, you know, there'd be all these people coming behind him. So beating trails back in the 50s and 60s, as people like Chuck Renslow did, um, and uh, uh, James Baldwin, 
uh, Edward Albee, all these people helped, Tennessee Williams, all these people helped fortify us. So when a push moment came to shove at the seminary, a priest who was not a Jesuit got in my face because I was reading Tennessee Williams because I found a great deal of interest in him in the 1950s. And the only defense I had against him was the, was the Jesuit who wrote to my defense and said that it was, it's good pastoral uh, study for a seminarian to be interested in Tennessee Williams to learn about human nature. So I've been defended by Jesuits in the face of, mm. of um, the kind of homophobia that even made suspect anybody who read the plays of a homosexual author. And then, ironically, or maybe coincidentally, uh, five or six years after that happened, I had to, I was at Loyola and wanted to do my dissertation on Tennessee Williams, whose work I thought I understood philosophically and theologically. And they said I couldn't because Tennessee Williams was still alive. And I said, but all the work he's done to this point is brilliant and deserves to be looked at. And I, I waged my art argument with them for a few weeks, and eventually they caved, and I was able to do my dissertation, which turned out to be, I think, the first dissertation ever written on him and his plays. When, when was your first realization that drama was having an impact on culture? When did I first know it? Yeah, or get a, get a feeling about it. I knew it after my third issue. Because by then, there were enough letters coming in, and that was the only way you could get response. But, you know, in magazine publishing or in periodical publishing newspapers, uh, one person who writes a letter to the editor is considered a representative of 10 people because the other nine don't bother, even though they want to. And then those 10 who might have written are backed up by another 100 who feel the same way. They don't bother to write because they never write to the, to the editor. So you could tell from the enthusiasm of the subscribers, the kind of people who were, began sending in their work to be published in a place they thought was worthy of their work, like Robert Maplethorpe, and um, advertisers. I mean, we kept that thing, Drummer basically floated on the aroma of aroma, because it was poppers that kept Drummer alive. <laughs> and... You couldn't get, I mean, I wanted to have other ads in there as well, but The Advocate had the same problem because you can't have an ad for uh, Absolute Vodka and a Ford truck next to a dildo ad. They don't like that, those advertisers. And that's why some of these magazines soft pedal their things in order to get that advertising. That's how I knew from the readers that, and the people who wanted to contribute. I mean, when, once a person like, artist like Robert Maplethorpe needed a, a path to your door, then you know you've become the next thing. Can you explain what this means, that in a month of you writing about cigars, it began to mm -hmm. show up in leather bars? What does that mean? What I mean is Drummer helped create the very leather culture it reported on. We could write... Uh, an article in Drummer. Somebody might send in an article about something and it would seem way off the wall. But I'd take it and edit it in such a way or turn out its best point so that it would make its point. And something that people would talk about, like a fetish for 
uh, boots or a fetish for cigars. Not that people hadn't, you know, uh, glommed onto those things as personal things before, but nobody in gay media had ever written about those things. We outed those subjects and gave permission to people who were at home smoking cigars in the bathroom, watching themselves in the mirror and jerking off. We gave them permission once they learned how to smoke a, gar, a cigar uh, in the bathroom mirror to go out and smoke that cigar in a gay bar and put on their exhibition. That's what I mean by that. The drummer gave people permission. If we would write an article or publish a photograph of somebody doing something that you had never seen in the gay bar before, you could bet that very soon you would see that very behavior in the, in the gay bar, in the leather bar. Can you explain that kind of impact in 21st century terms? Because it's really hard to imagine that. Well, that's because it was the only magazine out there, wasn't it? Every, it was the Bible of the leather world. It was the Bible of leather culture. You did what Drummer did. Drummer did not, Drummer was descriptive. Drummer was not prescriptive, like grammar. There's prescriptive grammar and descriptive grammar, as I'm sure you know. Drummer was descriptive. We did not say, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. We said, look what they're doing. Do you think maybe you might do that? Look what this is going on. What do you think of that? What's your take on that? How can you take this, what we're saying here in this article, and spin it around? When you're the only voice, it's like being a totalitarian dictator in a sense. Because it's the only voice that they have coming in. They have nobody else to tell them, here's a new sex trick you can try. Here's a new sex fetish. Here's how you might want to feel. I mean, I try to give people, okay, this is what you do, and maybe this is how you will feel about it after you do it. So I was trying to turn them on with an activity and then counsel them with the kind of psychology that might accompany that. So it was very easy. Because Drummer was the only thing going. There was no competition. And people would talk about Drummer in the bars, and people would correspond with each other. I mean, the number of people who met each other were in the millions through the back pages of Drummer. And then Drummer would become their, uh, their, their connection. Because it was through Drummer they met, and it was the Drummer values that they talked about, and it was the Drummer values that they then adopted and adapted to themselves to become their own values for leather and masculinity. So you were the first magazine to feature bears and have a bear on the cover. Did you ever uh, realize that all these new definitions and categories and labels would expand to the point they did? Yes and yes and yes. <laughs> Um, drummer always featured men who would soon be called bears. They just weren't called that in yeah. Drummer. I was the first editor to publish the word bears on a magazine, but that was not on Drummer. That was on the California Action Guide, a San Francisco tabloid. Now, I knew all this was necessary that the word bears would come along and that all these other identity categories would come along because, well, in fact, in 2005, I delivered a paper at the University of Ireland in Dublin about uh, homo words, um, how gay keywords are created. And I knew, and in there I wrote about how I knew as editor of Drummer, writing for Drummer, because I kind of setting the tone 
for the kind of articles, the kind of style. You know how magazines will say, if you want to write for the magazine, read us and look at match our style. So I was trying to create a drummer style article. But when creating it, I realized I didn't have enough vocabulary. Just like I had homophile in the, in the witchcraft book and not homosexual. In drummer, I thought, I'm not going to be pushed back like that kind of censorship. I want these new words to emerge in this decade, this first decade of gay liberation after Stonewall. But in order to write about what I saw going on in the bars, I had to either pick up on the new words or think up what new words would be to cover it. Because... The, the, I mean, it was obvious in principle that the love that dare not speak its name suddenly was writing about itself but didn't have enough words to call itself with the right identity signifiers it needed. I mean, the word leather man had to be created as a distinct category from just gay man, and even gay man had to be created. So when you get it down into, you know, tops and bottoms and sadists and masochists and slaves and uh, masters and all the things that S&M can stand for, even there you see the great divide among all the things and how the words are already beginning to spill out. Gay liberation caused just this spill of babble, this wonderful spill of words and voices that uh, gave name to all the identities we all emerged individually with from the closet. Told you it was quick. Now you know Jack Fritcher won't blow any smoke up your ass. The next Queer Core Quickie features Jane County, pioneering trans punk rocker who pogoed with the best of them and gave trans pre-oranges a new black mass visibility. The Queer Core podcast is produced by Chris Coates and myself and is edited by Chris Coates. To get more, go to QueerCorePod.com or visit us at QueerCorePod on Instagram. You can also join my newsletter for all the latest updates by going to AugustNation.com newsletter. Peace out. Peace out.